Welcome to Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast, episode number 11, A Whole Lot of Plethora, recorded Sunday, December 31st, 2006. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Show notes for this episode and a lot of other fun stuff can be found at www.uncontrolledairspace.com. Cirrus has has really struck a note here by by doing something a lot of us have advocated for a long time. This is going to be taking high-powered executives through a lot of airspace that does not have the controls that we expect here in the United States. We've got a plethora of reasons to scratch our heads there. They I, I would come to, out there and hurt you. <laughs> they seem to. Good morning, guys. How you doing? Spiffy. Absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Dave, I, I, underst- I understand, David, just we're, we're recording this on Sunday morning, December 31st, uh, New Year's Eve morning, and, uh, and and as we were chatting just now, Dave suddenly announced that it has started to snow in Wichita. Yeah, got nice heavy flurries going on out there. Probably not cold enough on the ground to stick for a while, but uh, uh, anybody interested in trying their popsicle icing flight uh, uh, skills? Right now would be a good time. Come on down. That's Dave Higdon. He is, as I said, talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Uh, Dave is an aviation photographer, a senior editor at Kit Planes Magazine, and also the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. That's Dave. Also with us this morning, Jeb Burnside. How you doing, Jeb? Doing spiffy. It is decidedly not snowing here. <laughs> spiffy. In uh, Springfield, Virginia is where Jeb yes, is talking to us from this morning. Jeb, of course, is a freelance aviation journalist, currently serving as editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine and also as a contributing editor to Avweb Biz. So good morning to Jeb. Good morning, everybody. And also with us this morning, our good friend James Winbrandt uh, is with us. James is uh, newly arrived at his winter quarters down in St. Augustine, Florida. Uh, and uh, we welcome him this morning, James, of course, an author and aviation journalist. Hi, James. How you doing? I'm doing great, thanks, and it is definitely not snowing here in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we would want to know if it does. Not, not that it can't snow that far north, but... That's right. <laughs> so... Well, I'm not going to do my long-winded little plug for the website today, but I do want to quickly remind everybody that we uh, we invite you and urge you to uh, visit us throughout the week at the uncontrolledairspace.com website, where there's lots of good stuff about uh, aviation and about our podcast. So uh, please uh, stop by and, and visit the website. I think you'll you enjoy it. You can write us a letter. You can sign up to get a reminder. Uh, you can tell us what's on your mind or what you think should be on our minds. There you go. But uh, we've got a lot on our plate this morning. Uh, A little bit different podcast this time. Instead of talking about the news for the past week or so, we're going to try and wrap up the year 2006 and talk a little bit about some of the general aviation stories that we think were most significant or most notable in some way uh, over the past year. And uh, so let's just dive right into this here. Jeb, uh, tell us a little bit about what you think uh, was one of the most notable stories of the year. Well, I think one of the most notable stories has been and will continue to be, actually, in in 07, the uh, mid-air collision back in September involving a Brazilian domestic airliner and a uh, 
U.S. registered business jet. Um, brief recap on this, the um, accident occurred in late September. It was only in mid-December that the aircrew flying the Embraer uh, U.S. registered business jet were allowed to come home back to the United States. They'd been essentially detained by Brazilian authorities um, during what can only be described as a criminal investigation of the accident, um, which resulted in the deaths of all 154 passengers and crew on the uh, Goal Airlines uh, Boeing 737. Um, there's a lot of uh, uh, finger pointing uh, going on uh, about this, this mid air collision. Uh, Brazilian authorities uh, have accused uh, at various points the uh, Embraer crew of turning off their transponder, of uh, ignoring uh, air traffic control direction, a variety of other sins both imagined and, and uh, uh, perhaps trumped up. Um, the uh, punchline in all of this is uh, um, I think two things. One, uh, air traffic control is not uh, as uh, uh, bulletproof as we might think or as the general public might want to think, and secondly, uh, the criminalization of uh, an aviation accident by uh, uh, foreign authorities, certainly and in, in perhaps uh, uh, down the road uh, here in North America, uh, especially in the United States. Uh, I think it's an unfortunate precedent. I think it's a very, uh, let me rephrase that, I think it's a, a very poor precedent. I think it doesn't do a whit uh, uh, for the concept of aviation safety. And uh, I think this particular uh, event will continue to re reverberate, uh, not just uh, um, in foreign airspace and in foreign ATC systems, but right here in the United States. Yeah, well, we have a we have a, a precedent for that here in the United States. Uh, uh, when the FBI plunged into the investigation of the uh, 747 that exploded over Long Island Sound, uh, on the basis of nothing more than it has to be a bomb. Yeah. You know, that kind of explosion just has never happened. It has to be a bomb. Right. Uh, and they ran roughshod over the uh, collection of, uh, of uh, materials and evidence. Uh, they brushed aside the NTSB for a great uh, long period of time and went off on their own, uh, only in, in the end, only to have to hand it back to the NTSB with, a, with no mea culpa, saying, wow, we were wrong. Uh, you know, basically, well, it looked like that to us, so that was our job. Uh, it uh, really threw a monkey wrench into what's a very precise scientific and, and, and deliberate process of investigating air crashes. Uh, the precedent that's uh, at risk here in, in the Brazilian incident is if pilots feel like they're apt to be subject, well anybody subject to an air crash investigation uh, feels like they're uh, apt to be the subject of a criminal count, uh, they're less likely to be fully forthcoming and cooperative with the, their safety investigators. And the system kind of depends on people being honest and, and forthcoming, knowing that that material can't be used against them in a criminal inquiry. Uh, so like Jeb said, this is a, not, not the greatest precedent and, and certainly not enhance aviation safety. Yeah. James, you have you any know, thoughts on uh, this? Yeah, go ahead, James. Well, I know that... Uh, Long-range business jet sales have been very brisk, and that's because uh, business is increasingly international, and people realize you've got to be face-to-face -to, -face to do business, and this is going to be taking uh, high-powered executives through a lot of airspace that does not have the controls 
that we expect here in the United States. And I wonder down the road as that happens, are we going to be seeing more uh, mid-airs? Are there going to be a lot of near misses? How are uh, companies going to deal with this if they're actually putting some of their top executives in harm's way by flying them through airspace of that nature? That's a very good uh, question. Well, yeah. but let me ask you this. So do we think this is a trend um, or do we think that the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the uh, what was it, New York crash and the Brazil crash were, the way those were treated were isolated incidents, just really unfortunate situations, or does it signal a trend, do you think? I think so far we've got to treat them like isolated incidents. Yeah, uh, yeah. With, the, with the potential for um, greater mischief down the road. Yeah. Well, you know, we live in a world, it seems, where on the one hand, people don't want to accept responsibility anymore, and yet they still want to find a scapegoat. And while there is not really that many parallels, I look at Libya, where they've just convicted nurses and sentenced them to death, supposedly for spreading AIDS, that right. from what the evidence one reads in the newspaper, this is clearly scapegoating. So I wonder if there's some of that going on here. Uh, with the Brazil situation. I, I think there, there clearly is. And, and the elephant in the room, uh, I'll just come out and say it, is what I would consider simply to be incompetence, um, not only of, of individuals involved, but of the equipment and the infrastructure um, in those instances. Um, whether it's AIDS in, in Africa or air, air traffic control in Brazil. Yeah, okay. Well said. I would still know why their TCAS system on both those planes somehow were they off? Were they inoperative? Why yeah, that, that's a that's a very good question. That's a, uh, a very uh, vexing uh, issue. Um, the only thing that I can come up with here on that particular point, uh, and, and just to kind of recap, both of these aircraft were were cruising at thirty-seven thousand feet, flight level three seven zero. They were on the same airway, headed in opposite directions. Uh, closure rate of, of uh, probably greater than 900 knots. Um, the only thing that comes to mind in, in what, what uh, research I have done on this is, and it's not a revelation per se, but it is an interesting phenomenon. Apparently, TCAS has, uh, a, a, for, first of all, a great record, uh, in, 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 uh, especially in the terminal environments, but the closure rate, and especially the head-on closure rate um, of this magnitude, poses some problems for TCAS. Oh, and, that's very uh, interesting. We're, yeah, yeah we're, we're looking essentially at uh, uh, the worst-case scenario for TCAS to issue a resolution advisory, and. Um, Perhaps in this instance, it, it just simply uh, failed to do so. Yeah. Well, let's move along here. Um, that was certainly a very notable story in the past year. Um, moving along, James, uh, t what story do you think uh, was notable in the past year? Well, again, it's been a year of highlights, but certainly I think the midterm elections for people interested in general aviation and for all interested in, in, uh, in the political environment was uh, extremely important. We had a sea change of, uh, obviously, leadership in the House and the Senate. That is going to play out in huge ways in a number of ways. I'm sure we'll get around to talking about user fees. But in general, it's going to bring back some uh, people that have been good friends of general aviation to leadership positions. And uh, hopefully that bodes well for general aviation. So I'll make that my opening statement about uh, 
what I think was one of the big stories of 2006. Yeah, I think I think regular listeners to the podcast will suspect that we have a couple of opinions on this subject. So, uh, <laughs> no, not us. Is it going to make a difference that the, uh, the that our government is or will soon be led by Democrats instead of Republicans? It will make a huge difference. Absolutely. Um, some of that will be good. Some of that will be bad uh, for general aviation. Uh, I'll let Dave chime in. Well, I was just going to say, in the, in, the, in the grand scope of things, uh, what seems most apparent to me is that there's going to be a return of balance and oversight mm -hmm. to the, uh, uh, the three-legged stool that's supposed to be uh, our federal government. Uh, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but uh, the six years of the Bush administration where the Republicans were in the majority uh, were, were, were increasingly lax, uh, less oversight, less legislative work done, and uh, more, more focus on raising money and increasing power with each progressing year. Uh, the last Congress met what was it, 95 days for the whole year? Mm -hmm. uh, those were actually work days. Uh, they only managed to pass two of the uh, appropriations uh, measures that are required out of, uh, I believe, it's 13. Uh, that left 11 to be funded by continuing resolution. A uh, whole lot of concerns about a whole lot of issues beyond aviation where the oversight that Congress is charged with providing was essentially uh, absent without leave, didn't exist. Uh, I doubt seriously that the, that's going to be a, a similar issue in the coming Congress, although I expect that the Democrats are going to be a little bit moderate in how they apply it and not go overboard, as, as some people would like, uh, to the extent of uh, opening investigations into everything that's been unhappy about the Bush administration up to and including impeaching the top two officers. Uh, so it's going to be it's 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 going to be a, a change in rhythm certainly for the White House to actually have to uh, uh, deal with lawmakers on, on a basis of the uh, of the uh, theory that their vote matters. <laughs> James, you had a follow-up yeah. question. What were you saying earlier? The downside. I'm, I'm wondering, Chab, what what uh, what potential downsides? I, I think I think um, Dave alluded to some of this, but I uh, whether it's in the oversight arena, um, but I think mainly I would I would consider this uh, the, the problem. I should say I would consider to be uh, activism. Um, it's it's somewhat difficult to define, and I certainly don't have any uh, on any uh, specific knowledge, but. Um, the the um, um, parties that will be coming in to take leadership roles in Congress are, are certainly not without an agenda. Um, and oh, no. uh, when, when it comes to uh, the, the macro issues um, of oversight and uh, budget and the war in Iraq and uh, uh, malfeasance, nonfeasance in office, those are clearly major issues that... Uh, uh, that Congress should be taking uh, a, a more active role in. I, I'm concerned, however, that that activism um, will have an effect on uh, general aviation. We're looking uh, at the FAA reauthorization bill coming up in 07, um, which will provide ample opportunities for oversight hearings, for, uh, for new legislative proposals, etc. We have uh, not only uh, the Corey Lytle accident, uh, in New York, uh, late, later in, late in the year, um, we have um, a variety of, of 
congressional inquiries ongoing with respect to aviation safety generally. Um, I, I'm a little concerned that some of this uh, congressional concern will translate itself into proposals for um, restrictions mm -hmm. uh, on general aviation, and there is ample opportunity for those restrictions to be written into the law. And that's looking ahead Could, to 2007. Right. Yeah. Right. Could uh, and should, I and mean, we've heard a lot from AOPA, NBA, everybody's on uh, talking about the change in leadership. Could and should the uh, alphabet groups do something to try to have some sort of orientation for all new elected legislative members to kind of say, this is general aviation, here's what you don't know. Would uh, that, legislators that, be receptive to that? That, 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 that process that is actually ongoing. started, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's a process that never really ends, but it entered a new cycle uh, basically the day after the elections. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, first by identifying who the winners were and where the seats changed hands, uh, and looking at those folks' background and, and preparing to deal with them and, and, and educate and enlighten those new members, uh -huh. uh, and then the focus turned to uh, identifying what members of what panels are appointed to which leadership leadership positions, uh, so that the uh, lobbyists for the sundry groups could start prepping their position papers and, uh, you know, making appointments to brief their staff and the members on, on where things stand and where they'd like to see things go. So, uh, you know, in the great scheme of things, uh, congressional lobbying is a lot like 24-hour news. Uh, it, there's really no beginning and no end to it. It's, it's a continuing process. It just changes targets somewhat as issues change and as members change. Yeah. Exactly right. Dave, it's your turn at bat. What, uh, tell us a story that you think was, uh, was notable, was big this past year. Well, I think, the, I think one of the big stories of the last year uh, was the uh, Air Transport Association and the FAA's uh, seeming em love embrace uh, in a push for uh, uh, rewriting how the FAA is primarily funded uh, from uh, the system of uh, very workable and, and inexpensive system of excise taxes and fuel taxes that airline passengers and GA operators pay today to one based on uh, uh, quote unquote a blip is a blip is a blip uh, you know I, I could get really rude with that if you gave me a couple of minutes for a haiku but uh, the uh, uncontrolled the, airspace the x-rated <laughs> version <laughs> the uh, the, the bottom line is that uh, the Air Transport Association uh, feels terribly put on that they've got to pay for the bulk of the air traffic control system that they tend to use the bulk of. And uh, they'd like to see a couple of billion dollars of that diverted away from uh, uh, their, their customers because well, primarily yeah, it's me, their customers who pay it. Thank you. And it uh, landed on the shoulders of uh, operators of GA aircraft like James and, 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 and Jeb and, and you and me. Uh, the, uh, the great thing about this in 2006 was the uh, really strong and united reaction of the GA alphabet groups, and I'll you know I'll rattle them off in quick order: AOPA, uh, NBAA, NATA, EAA. Uh, you name it. If there was a group out there, even the Air Traffic Controllers Union, uh, if there was a group out there with a with with a, a an iron in the uh, aviation system fire, uh, 
they were coming out against this scheme of funding based on fees for flight planning, fees for weather briefings, fees for time and system, fees for takeoffs and landings. Uh, essentially, the ATA would like to turn us into Mexico, uh, which would really increase aviation employment exponentially because you'd have to create this entirely new infrastructure uh, and, and a new entity to uh, levy the fees, collect the fees, and account for the fees. Uh, so aviation employment would go up considerably under this system. Uh, all you got to do is fly through Mexico and, and land at one airport. And you wind up talking to seven different people and paying seven different fees by the time you get wheels up again. Uh, but that's not the efficient way to do it. It's not cost-effective. Uh, it doesn't produce the results that its proponents claim it will. And we've got some striking examples of that failure to produce in Canada, in England, and in Europe. So uh, the unanimity, to me, is 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 a real positive uh, aspect of this. All the uh, GA user groups getting behind it. Uh, the bad news is that 2006 was just the preamble. Uh, the real heavy swinging is coming in 2007. Yeah, I mean, some of our listeners, um, and, and actually myself included, um, are not all that familiar with the process here. Um, apparently, there's something coming down the road called the FAA reauthorization. Is that Correct. what it's called? Every Correct. 10 years is well, set up right now that has to be, uh, Congress has to act to allow the FAA to continue its existence. Uh, so does that mean that this does that mean that there's a big decision that's going to last for ten years that will be made? No, 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 no. no, um, uh, no. First, first of all, Dave is partially correct. The, every every period of time, uh, Congress must um, go back and uh, look at FAA's programs, look at their structure, uh, set their policy priorities, and enact new legislation to do the, all of this. Um, the timing varies from. Uh, 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 iteration to iteration, uh, the current legislation expires in, at the uh, end of September of '07. September um, Yeah, um, the uh, um, uh, uh, on the table here uh, is the plethora of uh, aviation uh, programs at the federal level. This includes uh, the uh, Airport and Airways Trust Fund, the um, existing excise taxes that are levied and which feed into that trust fund. Uh, it includes how much money will be spent on airport development, on air traffic control. It includes how many Facilities air traffic controllers there will research. be out there. Um, research on new technologies such as uh, ADSB, um, things of that sort. Uh, how soon the, these things will be implemented. Um, headcounts, everything. How many how many paper clips the FAA buys? All of these issues are on the table, and it just turns out that 07 uh, is the year in which the the existing uh, authorization expires. Um, so I, I don't know if that's the answer to the question. Well, I guess my my how long? So they're going to make some decisions later this year about right. how to fund the FAA and how you know a strategic right. plan and so forth. Uh, how much of a of a you know stake in the ground is that going to be, or will there be opportunities to fine tune that further down the road, or how does that there work? Are, there are always opportunities to fine tune it down the road if a political consensus can be reached in Congress and and at the White House. Um, in the past, that has been difficult to accomplish um, um, between 
uh, deadlines, if you will, between uh, the point at which uh, a new authorization has to be enacted. Sometimes okay. that's affected through the appropriations process, um, but this is the this is the big enchilada. Yeah, the reauthorization oh. kind of serves as the broad outline and 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 marching orders, if you will, uh, for the period of time covered by the legislation. Uh, as Jeb correctly pointed out, there, there, there's always possibility for fine-tuning, and Congress has shown itself more than willing to inappropriately use uh, the uh, uh, process of uh, awarding money as a way to influence programs and people. Uh, it's not supposed to be that way, but it happens nonetheless. Uh, the, the the issue is though it's a lot tougher to get consensus on small item issues in the big picture yeah. uh, in between these reauthorization uh, laws uh, than it is to get a consensus on the broad brush stuff and leave the fine details to the FAA. Uh, whatever happens here in the coming year, we're going to be uh, we're going to be living with it for a long time to come. Yeah. Yeah. James, you were trying to jump in there. Well, I just, you know, with the subject of user fees, uh, fees aren't taxes. So Congress doesn't have to approve of that if, if a plan comes through. If, if Congress did not want user fees, they would have to pass a law prohibiting them. But the fees well, aren't taxes, so they don't need congressional approval to levy them. It, it depends on, on how, you, how you look at it. Con um, Congress would have to... Um, uh, either allow or certainly uh, direct the FAA to um, levy a fee, uh, and I use the word levy uh, advisedly. Um, generally speaking, the the existing um, user fees that we have, and I will call them that because that's what they are. We we pay Absolutely. a fee every time we use the system. Generally, it is through uh, the uh, the fuel tax. Uh, that is levied. Um, Congress, if if they wanted to embrace this concept of user fees at the FAA, they would have to authorize the FAA to um, collect these fees. They would have to also authorize how these fees are, are to be spent. Um, it may or may not be done through the, the uh, excise tax uh, mechanisms. It may or may not be done through the the standard congressional uh, uh, revenue uh, collection schemes, uh, namely the Ways and Means Committee on the House side and the Finance Committee on the on the Senate side. Um, yes, uh, in a in a shall we call it a, a worst case scenario, the FAA could go in and I mean the Congress could go in and and tell the FAA, you FAA set up a bureaucracy, you are authorized to collect fees from. Uh, airline passengers, general aviation pilots, etc., uh, and come back in a couple of years and tell us how it's all going. That's not likely to happen in that fashion. But uh, wor worse things have happened. Uh, uh, Naseos, uh, Henry Ogersinski at Naseos brought up that uh, jet fuel tax actually goes into the highway trust fund and sort of has to be retrieved from there to right. get into oh, the yeah, aviation that's trust fund. That's it's, a it's, big piece of that, stupid law. That's a Charlie Foxtrot that that's, uh, yeah. uh, was created uh, a handful of years ago. Um, that's one of the the uh, fine points that has to be resolved or should be resolved. Yeah. They've been working um, on a correction on right. that ever since the bloody thing passed. Right. James, you're up again. Tell us another big story over the past year. 
Well, I think one of the big stories and certainly one of the heartening stories is the great general aviation bull market. People want airplanes, uh, and Wichita and the other places are making them, and uh, that's good for all of us, uh, you know, from VLJs to LSAs to our standard uh, piston engine aircraft. So I think that's been one of the great stories of the past year, and hopefully that will continue into the new year. Ten years ago, Cessna made a big uh, uh, splash in the GA market by restarting their their single-engine piston production lines uh, in 1996. And uh, since then, they have uh, made literally a record number of airplanes. Uh, started slow, but they've, they've, they've caught up. Uh, Cirrus is making airplanes uh, hand over fist. Piper has seen a rejuvenation. Uh, Beach is still selling airplanes. Mooney is up and down, but they're still in the market. Um, James is right. It's it's been a uh, something of a renaissance, if you will, in the last few years, and uh, um, we're seeing more and more general aviation aircraft in the market. We're seeing more and more of them uh, being operated. Uh, we're seeing more and more new purchases, and uh, it's well, a good thing. Let's just take a look at the first now, nine months of 2006 uh, in terms of industry growth. Uh, total shipments of general aviation aircraft uh, up 18.9 percent. That's 2,842 airplanes versus 2,391 through the same nine months of 2005. Piston aircraft up 18.4% to just short of 2,000 for the first nine months. Turboprops up about 12% uh, to 256. Business jets up 23% yep. to 629 through the first nine months. Now we're two or three weeks away from the General Aviation Manufacturers Association giving us a full year assessment for 2006. But uh, what usually happens in the third quarter is a bunch of stuff goes out the door in higher quantity as uh, buyers seek to take delivery just in time to get the full year's tax benefit without the full year's cost. Uh, it's just been kick butt selling out there and by the forecast from uh, Honeywell, from Rolls-Royce, uh, and a couple of other independent entities that forecast business jet sales uh, and aircraft sales. Uh, the next 10 years is going to see uh, very little slowing in this kind of uh, sales pace. Business jets, it's, it's hard to argue against them. And if you look at the bottom line, it's a clear-cut uh, for why many businesses should have one. The piston end, uh, a little more challenging. And uh, the general aviation manufacturers have traditionally done an awful marketing job, just really pig-headed and kind of making it very hard to justify why somebody should have one of these. Now we're seeing one of the great things about Cirrus is that they have come in with an argument that this is a life-changing possession. Your life will not be the same. It will open up new time for you. It will open up new opportunities. How... How big can this get? Because obviously we're looking at you know double-digit growth, but when you look at the difference between planes and car sales, obviously we're not going to get to a car, a plane in every garage, but how big can general aviation get? And obviously there's user fees and all that have a, a portion of this, but how many, 
how, what do you think looking down the road? What can we expect to see in terms of general aviation playing a role in America's life, where it is now so marginalized, I feel? Well, it bears pointing out that historically, uh, general aviation has gone through boom times that uh, make 2006 shipments look uh, uh, pretty meager. And I'm talking about the period of the, the latter half of the 1970s when a combination of uh, high manufacturing volume, relative low prices, uh, uh, tax incentives, and a, a big surge in, in popularity and interest through uh, something that was called the Learn to Fly program with the Learn to Fly girl going around the country, uh, a very cute lady demonstrating what the benefits of private aircraft ownership were. Uh, the, the the manufacturers shipped somewhere in excess of 60,000 airplanes in a five-year period, 17,000 alone in one year. Uh, I don't seriously expect us to get back to those kind of days, but uh, Cirrus has is, is really struck a note here by, by doing something a lot of us have advocated for a long time, and that's pushing the lifestyle and the uh, the life aspects of being a private pilot and owning an aircraft as opposed to the oh well it's a good way to do business or it's a lot of fun to go for the hundred dollar hamburger crap uh, that was the message that was the thrust back in the 70s uh, I doubt seriously we're gonna see the kind of tax advantages uh, sprinkled on GA buyers uh, today that we saw in the 70s but then again if the lifestyle push and the marketing uh, helps resurrect the uh, the, the interest in private aircraft ownership and the airline industry continues its stellar job of making it great fun to fly on a human mailing tube uh, as, as one friend of mine puts it every time he gets on an airliner and experiences the system he smiles because they're doing more to make new pilots than anything GA is doing it's true that's true uh, the uh, there are flies in that ointment oh uh, yeah. uh, one of which um, is safety. Um, and as we were talking before um, um, Jack pushed the recording button here this morning, um, in, in, in my recollection, there's, or in my, my thinking, there's been a plethora of uh, fatal accidents here in the last several days around the country. Um, there's there's been that uh, plethora again. Ple that word plethora again. There have been a <laughs> buttload <laughs> of fatal general aviation accidents here in the US uh, in recent weeks um, some of them um, have been uh, frankly related to upticks in in uh, travel uh, as the holidays approached yeah. um, it's like but, you get on the highways yeah there there there've really been some thoroughly reported in in what i would consider uh, uh, fairly poignant uh, instances of of uh, uh, four people being killed in, in this accident, four people being killed in that accident, families, uh, uh, things of this sort. And it's been uh, uh, a, a, a very unfortunate series, and I think it is also a sobering uh, development. Um, if, if a small businessman is, is considering uh, purchasing an airplane and, and picks up uh, uh, the newspaper and sees uh, this kind of carnage, I will call it, uh, uh, it, it can be very sobering. I, I think um, sometimes we are our own worst enemies in these areas and kind of gets back to my theme uh, earlier uh, when we were talking about congressional activity in 07. 
Uh, if we don't do a better job policing ourselves, someone's going to do it for us. Yeah, this is true. What form might that take? Because every time they talk about adding new controls, it actually makes the environment less safe. And it's kind of set up in a way now that it's kind of let the buyer beware or you're given the ability to conduct your life and your flight as you see fit. And when they do try to exercise more control, things get worse. So what might, what do you see is what might be proposed to kind of do it for us? Well, after the John Kennedy Jr. accident uh, several years ago, uh, there was a very uh, quick push, quashed equally as quick, uh, to uh, uh, change flight rules so that uh, you had to have an instrument rating to fly at night. And, uh, you know, it's Which is already the case in Canada, I would point out. Uh, in Canada, in Mexico, and in other parts of the world. Uh, uh, I've got friends from uh, other continents that are stunned that they can come over here with their pilot's license and fly night in VFR. Uh, but the... Uh, the, the fact is that, you know, if you're trained to fly night, uh, you're considered qualified to fly night. If you keep your qualification with the uh, night takeoffs and landings, uh, the vast majority of us who do this do it uh, with, no, with no issues. There's not a big uh, track record for night accidents exceeding day accidents. And, of course, it's a smaller portion of the, of the flight hours flown anyway. Uh, but those kind of things, operational kind of things that aren't really helpful to us, qualification issues, uh, they can try to raise the bar legislatively. Uh, there's some very creative people out there when they think that they're trying to solve a problem that essentially defies, you know, legislative solution. Yeah. Creative and well-meaning and perhaps poorly informed. Misguided. Um, and one example I could bring up would be... Uh, um, a recent letter written by Eastern Region FAA Council that basically redefined the concept of known icing. Um, this was that's done. A really good. That's a really good example. This was done over the summer and really only came to light um, uh, throughout the industry in the last couple of months. Um, the FAA uh, headquarters people. Um, my understanding is that they were very embarrassed by this whole episode uh, and that some um, method of overturning that policy statement will be forthcoming in the, new, in the near future. In what, the was new the, year. what was the new definition, new description? Basically, well, part of it, there, there are several elements depending on how you looked at it, but the, the uh, uh, one significant element of the letter said that uh, any time there are freezing temperatures and relatively high humidity, and that's an exact quote from the letter, then the aircraft is flying in what the FAA considers known icing condition. Mm -hmm. Well, I, last I checked, my airplane did not have a, uh, um, any, any means to determine relative humidity. H how is a pilot supposed to know this, A? B, um, that's just a wholesale change. Uh, in in the concept of what uh, of when icing forms, and is contrary to the FAA's own published materials. 
So to try and wrap up this which subject, which started out on such a positive note, <laughs> market, yes. Um, Jeb, I mean, we all think about aviation safety, but Jeb, it's really your beat uh, to to think about it intensely all the time. Uh, yeah. Is it possible to kind of lay out for us what is the path to follow in order to make sure that all these additional pilots and additional airplanes are safe? Er. <sighs> Boy, that's you know, if I had uh, a 25 words or less answer to that, uh, probably uh, uh, would be making a lot more answer. money than I am now. Yeah. But it's uh, but it's something to be on the lookout for. I mean, it's something it, it is, to keep in our minds. Yeah, here here's an example, uh, and we talked about uh, the JFK Jr. Uh, accident um, and how there was a push to eliminate night VFR. Well, there's a much more recent example of this, and that was made that was successfully uh, accomplished. And this is the Corey Lytle accident yeah. uh, in New York City. Um, uh, he and his instructor flew their Cirrus SR-20 into a building. Uh, and and uh, if you want to make the evening news, fly an airplane into a building in this country, particularly um, in New York. Particularly in New York, um, the FAA, what I consider to be a fairly judicious uh, response to what was a, a shameful episode of clamoring for restrictions on GA uh, basically restricted fixed-wing aircraft from that specific airspace over New York City and I we, we can go into a lot more detail on this I wasn't really prepared to talk about it this morning um, that was a fairly uh, a measured response to what a lot of people were calling for uh, in the way of significant restrictions on general aviation um, the next time something like that happens, or perhaps even in coming months, as Congress delves into general aviation, um, we might revisit. We might be forced to revisit that issue. Um, that's the kind of, of thing that I, I point to. Um, icing is another example. Some of the accidents in recent uh, days here in the United States, um, it, certainly there's been no probable cause rendered in those accidents, but icing, at least in one of them, is a clear possibility. Um, it's it's tough to to point a finger at any specific um, trend or trends confronting the industry right now from the standpoint of safety. But I would just uh, uh, point at the general uh, concept of don't do nothing stupid as a as a means to try to fly more safely here. Yeah. Um, and and Congress, uh, federal government, state governments. Uh, whomever uh, in this day and age have a, a real ability to try to legislate or regulate stupidity, or a real willingness, I should say, to, to regulate or legislate against stupidity. And uh, I would advise Doctor Heal thyself first. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's that too, but uh, it doesn't work that way in the real world. And no, unfortunately, we do live in this real world where common sense does not necessarily um, uh, control. Uh, Official action. So from the beginning, from the beginning, of aviation 103 years ago, right through today and tomorrow and the next year and the year after, the toughest aspect of becoming a, a seasoned pilot is learning judgment. The mechanical skills, navigation, radio procedures, and all that stuff—that's uh, a piece of cake to master compared to developing good judgment. And from where do we learn good judgment? in the real world and by checking the examples of unfortunates who exercised bad judgment ahead of us. Uh, at the end of the day, there's no substitute for experience uh, when it comes to developing good judgment. 
you can read all the accident reports. You can learn what not to go and, and when not to go from the bad examples of others. But at the end of the day, you're, we all face and continue to face those days and those situations in which everything's not exactly crystal clear or everything doesn't exactly go according to the progs. And that's when judgment is most taxed, and that's when the freedom to learn that judgment uh, uh, without unnecessary and unrealistic constraints is most important. Yeah, I think that's Sorry. great advice. Chad? Yeah. Well, I just I just wanted to ask, because uh, Jeb has brought up a, a bunch of recent accidents, some of which seem to involve uh, low visibility situations, uh -huh. uh, which sounds like people trying to land below minimums and not having a good outcome. Uh, down the road, enhanced vision, synthetic vision, will that have an impact in our cockpits within the next few years? It's it's possible, certainly in the higher end uh, uh, GA aircraft. We, what James is talking about is essentially uh, um, available now in certain uh, higher end biz jets, Gulfstreams and, and uh, uh, Bombardier products uh, come to mind, uh, and it is available for retrofit. Uh, perhaps in in aircraft um, uh, uh, of lesser capabilities, such as King Air, etc. No, talking about uh, synthetic vision. Oh, it's available on. Uh, it's available for retrofit on uh, a, a right. lot of aircraft now, it is. down through uh, high-end piston aircraft. Uh, well, yes and no. It's available, um, but is it economically feasible, and uh, does it work as well? Um, I think what we'll 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 see in this arena um, is is considerable downsizing and uh, um, downscaling of uh, the products. Uh, well, there's for, a company in Florida that's offering it now for under $20,000. Uh -huh. Well, $20,000 is a nice big chunk of change for me and my little bonanza. Well, it and, is, uh, but uh, $20,000 is the entry level to, to the baby ground proc system. Uh, Twenty thousand dollars is the entry level to a full electronic panel. Uh, you know, twenty thousand dollars. Like I said, I labeled that as a high-end piston right. uh, piece of gear. Right. But uh, twenty thousand today for piston aircraft versus two hundred and fifty thousand dollars and up for the business jets, uh, I think is uh, is just an indication of where this is going. Uh, and that company that offers a $20,000 system has made it available on sale for limited times for as little as 10 plus installations. Uh, so uh, I think in the next two to five years, we're going to see this uh, kind of capability become more prominent, uh, more capable, and within the reach of more and more pilots uh, to the point where the question is going to be, uh, where do you put the camera? Yeah. Well, I have to tell you that uh, when we were chatting before we started the podcast, uh, the words neither the word plethora nor buttload was the word that Jeb actually used. But uh, but, but, but we we're struggling. Plethora, we're going to get back into the X-rated version of. But we are struggling. Airspace, that's but, right. We yeah. are struggling this morning to maintain our PG rating. So I guess we'll move on to a new subject. Dave, uh, uh, tell us another big story over the past year. Well, you know, uh, some of us argued back and forth over, you know what to label 2006, the year of this aircraft or the year of air, that aircraft. Uh, one of the major stories was was uh, light sport aircraft. Uh, the uh, basic approval from the ASTM and the FAA came two years ago, or almost two years ago now. 
uh, in April and the first approvals came that week. Uh, in the 2006, we saw the LSA, the Light Sport Aircraft uh, community, really start to explode. Uh, there are more than a hundred designs approved now. Uh, there have been several hundred delivered. Uh, one manufacturer or one importer uh, here in the states delivered more than 120 this year. Uh, the uh, Experimental Aircraft Association wrapped up its light sport aircraft tour with uh, two events out in California just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the, uh, the, the interest and the competitiveness of the light sport aircraft community is uh, continuing to grow. Uh, the sales are continuing to grow. And, uh, you know, it, certainly one of the top industry stories of 2006 was Cessna stunningly announcing that it was, quote unquote, looking into the development of an LSA uh, that it, they've been uh, basically calling the Cessna Sport. Uh, they had the prototype showing as a mock-up at AirVenture 2006. Uh, they actually had it as a flying example at AOPA Expo back in uh, November. Uh, their Sea uh, Stars network, that's the Cessna Dealers network, uh, they're overwhelmingly supportive of the idea of having a two-place inexpensive trainer slash uh, uh, personal airplane to sell. Uh, when you consider the entry level price of, uh, of buying a new Cessna today is pushing a quarter of a million dollars, being able to offer something for hopefully under a hundred thousand dollars that has in a lot of ways performance equal to a 172 uh, for cross country work and carrying two people and luggage, uh, it's, it's not difficult to understand why the Cessna dealers are hot for this. Uh, Long and the short of it is I think LSAs uh, really started to come into their own in 2006 and will only continue to, uh, to uh, exert an influence over the general aviation market in 2007. Unfortunately, we may see that effort continued without the direct participation of the Experimental Aircraft Association like we've had in the last couple of years. Uh, it has not, I'm told, generated the kind of membership number increases that EAA, uh, EAA's bean counters had hoped for, uh, so they won't be supporting the Light Sport Aircraft Tour again in 2007, it appears now. Uh, that said, the Light Sport Marketing Association uh, is continuing its own push along with the Light Aircraft Manufacturers Association. Uh, LAMA is not a new entity, it's been around for decades, first in support of the ultralight movement and now in support of the LSAs. Uh, but in essence, there's a whole pool of people uh, who are interested in becoming pilots, interested in participating in general aviation, for whom, uh, you know, a 40-year-old Skyhawk or Cherokee is not the most attractive vehicle for, for, for joining the club, but an $80,000, $90,000 spanking new two-place with a modern panel and different decent cruise speed and decent payload, uh, something that on the inside looks a little bit more like the uh, sports sedan that they drove to the airport, as Cirrus has shown dramatically, uh, that has a, a lot of appeal. Uh, and let's not forget about the, uh, the individuals for whom retaining a medical certificate is going to be uh, a continuing issue, because those folks, if they have not failed a medical, 
can uh, transfer to flying light sport aircraft solely on the basis of them possessing a valid driver's license for the state of their residence. Uh, I think here in the next five years we're going to see LSA being a major driver in, uh, in growing general aviation and in growing the pilot population, which is an issue uh, AOPA is specifically targeted for the next couple of years, growing the pilot population. Jeb, James, was LSA a big story in 2006, do you Abs think? Absolutely it is. And uh, while we're talking about the, uh, the lower cost of acquisition and the uh, concomitant lower uh, operating costs, et cetera, of uh, LSAs, I'm sitting here thinking about the recent tragedy down at Embry-Riddle University. Uh, Christmas Day, I believe it was, a uh, tornado swept through, wiped out. 40 airplanes uh, in the Embry-Riddle fleet, damaged, severely damaged 10 more, did uh, significant physical damage to the, the buildings and facilities there on the Embry-Riddle campus. Um, guys, they're in the market for 40, 50 new airplanes right now. And uh, if I were scratching my head trying to figure out where to get them and what would be the, most, the best bang for the buck, I might be looking at, a, uh, at some LSAs, at least uh, some number of them, to replace uh, uh, these 50 aircraft that they've lost. Well, and interestingly, uh, Embry-Riddle, uh, I'm told, is one of the major training institutes that has expressed a, a significant uh -huh. desire to have a fairly deluxe version of the Cessna Sport available, uh, specifically for their use with ab initio students. Yeah, I would not be the least bit surprised to learn that the phone lines between uh, Daytona Beach and uh, uh, Wichita have been burning up over the last few days. LSA is obviously a huge uh, feeder, and we do need that because for a lot of people, it's going to be the logical step to move into getting a, a pilot's license. Exactly. As opposed exactly. to a restricted LSA license. Yeah. And uh, sort of on a related subject, Jeb, another big story this year was was uh, VLJs, and in, in, in a sense, um, uh, I don't know how to really, has the hype lived up to uh, the reality? And the answer, I'm Not afraid, yet. Is, is no. Not um, yet. Uh, if we had had this broadcast uh, a year ago, uh, we would have looked at 2006 as the year of the VLJ. Uh, at that point in time, um, both Cessna and Eclipse uh, were promising um, that they would have, uh, they, they would be darkening the skies with VLJs by this time. Uh, that did not come to pass. Uh, to date, um, only Cessna has delivered a VLJ. They, they delivered their first Cessna Citation Mustang on November 22, right before Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, Eclipse. Um, is going to be, I think, the, the story of January. And the story is going to be whether the Eclipse 500. What in the heck is going on out in Albuquerque? Um, the, the Eclipse 500 got provisional certification from the FAA in late July during the AirVenture uh, extravaganza in Oshkosh. Um, they've since gotten um, an, um, a, another level of certification, but they've run into what I would consider uh, 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 standardization issues, if you will, with the FAA. There's apparently some some issues that have cropped up um, relative to the uh, consistency, if you will, of um, 
the aircraft's compliance with uh, FAA intentions. And I, and I, I say that advisedly because uh, there's, there's, there's a lack of uh, plethora of information coming from Albuquerque uh, on, on the status of the Eclipse program. Uh, and in recent weeks, it hasn't been uh, that big a deal. Um, with the holidays and uh, um, a variety of other uh, news items popping up in the, in the general aviation industry, uh, there hasn't been a whole lot of time to really get down dirty and focus on what's going on in VLJs and, and the Eclipse uh, specifically. But uh, it's, it's starting to be a head-scratcher for a lot of people, and I think uh, you're going to see some people, hopefully myself included, peel this onion a little bit here in the next few weeks with Eclipse and find out what the heck's going on out there and why um, they can't seem to get over this final hurdle and deliver some airplanes. They have come out with a, a lot of material kind of trying to explain what is going on and, again, making it sound like, you know, the, these conformity problems are kind of just a minor glitch. Uh, Jeb, do you have some reason to doubt that that, that that is true and, in fact, there may be some sort of major delay no. that they are... I don't have any any inside information. I don't have the sense that there's a uh, a major issue with the airframe with the certification process, but they have basically had six months here um, to to resolve and to identify, resolve, and, and implement the fixes on these issues, and it just has not occurred. And um, Eclipse has been. Um, um, I won't say closed-lipped or secretive or anything like that. They, uh, in my mind, just have not been making a whole lot of public pronouncements uh, relative to what the status of the program is. Uh, and to, uh, in, in, in fairness to, to the conversation here, it warrants pointing out that uh, outside the VLJ arena, uh, Sino Swearingen aircraft down in uh, San Antonio received the uh, uh, full, full type certification for the uh, SJ-30-2 uh, just before the NBAA convention in November 2005. Correct. And they've yet to deliver an airplane. Right. Uh, sometimes there's a lot of opportunity to slip between receiving a type certificate and receiving production approval and FAA approval on a specific airplane to deliver. Uh, with uh, Cessna, uh, to get that one out of the way, uh, their long-term target was always to begin serial deliveries in early 2007, mm -hmm. and uh, that single delivery that occurred that has occurred already was uh, basically a paper exchange between the buyer in California who immediately leased it back to Cessna for use as a sales demonstration aircraft, which is not an unusual Right. Not an unusual happenstance in the business jet community. With Eclipse, though, uh, to follow Jeb's head-scratcher analogy, uh, we've got a plethora of reasons to scratch our heads there. Uh, I'm going to come out there and hurt you. <laughs> they seem to. Yeah, well, I hope you got your uh, anti-ice rig fired up. Uh, I don't want to read about you in the paper. Uh, I don't want to read about me in the paper either. Yeah, that's kind of tough to do. Uh, the uh, they've had a tremendous number of teething problems that, uh, and and one gets the feeling that Vern Rayburn's past history with Microsoft, often being accused of shipping uh, operating system software before it was really ready for prime time, uh, is something that he's 
you know, studiously trying to avoid uh, by getting the airplanes as perfect as conceivable before they start shipping. Uh, and already some of the change, changes that are coming, they're saying will be retrofitted to aircraft that are delivered. Well, that's great, but first you got to deliver some. Do we? Th I mean, just to kind of try and wrap up the VLJ thing. Do we think that these these eclipse problems and uh, are are symptomatic of the entire VLJ quote unquote no. industry? Or no. is no? And I don't I don't uh, uh, want to leave Not our listeners all. with the impression that I think that these problems are insurmountable or systemic or uh, uh, are going to sink the eclipse program. Not by, hardly. By, by uh, no stretch of the imagine do I think that. I'm, I'm sitting here looking at their website. The most recent press release on the Eclipse website as of this morning uh, was dated November 10 and had nothing whatsoever to do with uh, uh, production updates or, or status updates on the certification process. Um, I, I, I'm just sitting here thinking that um, the, the lack of, of um, public information coming from Eclipse on, on the status of their program and when these pro these uh, uh, apparently I won't say insignificant, but apparently uh, um, um, small problems, but apparently a, a, a significant number of them, uh, when when these issues are going to be resolved, and that's the head scratcher that I'm I'm facing. Uh, I have a lot of confidence in the Eclipse uh, program. I have a lot of confidence in the people um, handling that program, and I'm more than convinced that um, e e there are going to be a buttload if I can use that word again, of Eclipse 500s out there <laughs> in coming months. But uh, the, 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 the relative silence and, and lack of information coming out of Eclipse on this uh, is, is a head-scratcher and something that's, I think, going to come to the fore in January. In, in fairness to Vern Rayburn and his gang out there in Albuquerque, uh, they have put out sporadically uh, information with a great deal of detail that we don't typically see from other OEMs yep. uh, in, in the same level of detail. And from Vern's perspective, uh, this is their attempt to be as transparent as, 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 uh, as business more as they allow have them been, to be. They've been magnificent in those arenas. They, they yeah. have, for a startup company, um, uh, they have been very forthcoming uh, over time uh, in the status of the program. But what in the hell is holding part the delivery? Of James, go ahead. I, I think a part of the VLJ story that will be important to watch in the coming year is the air taxi market. Mm -hmm. Because VLJs, there's always been the talk about, well, a lot of them are going to go to air taxis, which is a whole new paradigm. It's going to supposedly bring on-demand air charter to a whole new bunch of people. So I think we need to see, is that going to shake out day jet? supposedly started in December here in Florida, did some limited service. I haven't heard anything about how that's going. But well, I don't have any as, uh, Well, as air taxis <laughs> go, so will the VLJ market because so many people have been talking about air well, taxis as a major purchaser of VLJs. And that, that's primarily been... That's primarily been a uh, uh, an Eclipse and Vern Rayburn thrust. Uh, we've heard a great deal less about that market angle from the other players in the VLJ community. 
but Vern's thrust from the beginning was the uh, Eclipse 500 wasn't really targeted for the owner pilot. It was targeted to the uh, to this new concept. And right now we got to call it a concept because in reality it doesn't not operationally exist just yet. But you got Dayjet down in Florida anxiously waiting its eclipses. You've got Pogo. Uh, headed oh, by no. the former American chairman uh, uh, Bob Crandall, who is no dummy when it comes to making money off of uh, human carriage, uh, waiting for their Adam 700s. Uh, so you know, in, 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 in terms of that was carriage, not carnage. Uh, so in terms of uh, you know the new paradigm, right as it stands right now, I'll see your paradigm and raise you two paradigms. Uh, and I'll throw a quarter on the table here in a little bit. It's been quite a year, 2006, in general aviation. And a lot of these subjects, uh, a lot of these stories we talked a little bit about uh, where we thought they might go in the year 2007. Are there any other stories that we didn't touch on that we think might blossom in 2007? Are there any things that, uh, any other things to be on the watch for? I think there's the, the great unknown. Uh, I think that, uh, um, and we were talking offline via email earlier in the week about some of this and uh, um, forecast for 07 and I put something in relative to uh, um, the um, to be named celebrity a well-known celebrity who dies in a general aviation accident <laughs> uh, there is always going to be the the uh, unknown issue the unknown crisis the unforeseen problem uh, that confronts the industry and uh, that's uh, uh, I'm going to uh, stand above the fray and, and point that one out as the, the uh, one of the big stories of 07. I think one of the biggies, two, I've got two on my radar screen for 2007 already. Uh, one of them is broadened scope and potentially uh, onerous for everybody that flies GA, and that's the uh, Transportation Security Administration. Uh, we spoke earlier about the uh, change, uh, you know, James was talking about it, the change in, in uh, control of the House and the Senate from the midterm elections. Uh, and Jeb mentioned that some of those uh, changes are not going to be uh, the most wonderful for GA. Well, GA uh, has some members that aren't exactly friends, has some people in Congress that aren't exactly friends, uh, who have always been quick to suggest that the TSA needs to be doing more to clamp down on our freedom of movement. How dare we be able to fly without going through x-ray machines and metal detectors and explosive detectors at our local GA airport. The horror. Then some of those, yes, the horror, some of those folks are going to be in more influential positions uh, under the new leadership. And I expect that uh, some of them are going to use that to try to lever more restrictions out of the TSA. Uh, fortunately for us in GA, the TSA is a much more enlightened organization uh, than it was when it first started. Oh, okay. Uh, even though it's still thousands standing around, uh, there are a half a dozen at the top that have been around more or less from the beginning, certainly not the leadership, who are fairly comfortable working with GA under current circumstances and current constraints. Uh, they actively support the uh, AOPA airport watch program and the uh, toll-free hotline. Uh, so I don't expect that the, that the TSA is going to be all that anxious to take on a workload that it's really not prepared to. Uh, 
the second one that's on my radar screen is a little more specific, and that's the uh, pending sale and transition of Raytheon aircraft into Hawker Beechcraft, because uh, it's the oldest continually operated GA plane market on the market uh, in in the business right now, and uh, it's going through it's it's about to go through its uh, first major corporate upheaval since Raytheon Large bought the company from the Beach family in 1980, uh, returning it to a, a more independent stature and a more independent status with uh, more mobility and the freedom to move and spend uh, on development based on its own budget rather than having to be second-guessed by Lexington, Massachusetts, should make the 2007 a very interesting year for Raytheon Aircraft, Beechcraft, Hawker, and the GA market overall as we learn what the changes might include in terms of new products and new developments. James, anything uh, else that you'd like to add about uh, stories to watch in 2007? Well, I think airports are going to be under continuing pressure from developers and uh, also from communities that perhaps want to restrict their use to particular kinds of aircraft or attempts to have curfews and so. So I think that's something that everybody's going to need to be aware of in their own Very communities and and to do whatever they can to make sure that doesn't happen. I'm also, uh, you know, always excited about the new technology that's coming into our cockpits. I mean, the fact that we can get on a portable GPS unit, see essentially real-time weather, Doppler radar is amazing all of the uh the screens that we're seeing in ga cockpits i have a question about what that is going to do how many aircraft such as mine are out there that are still flying essentially with steam gauges and uh what down the road will the market view our aircraft as worth are we going to have to do major panel upgrades to have some sort of uh mfd multi functional display panels in our aircraft when it comes to sell them. If we want to, how are we going to the, uh, deal with that situation and what will the marketplace look like for That's That's uh, interesting. Interesting you bring that up. There's also some some training issues associated with glass panels and uh, oh, uh, yeah. the, the question of uh, uh, how a specific airplane is equipped versus another identical model uh, uh, that is equipped differently. Um, it's something that uh, um, it's been explored uh, um, in a variety of different ways here over the last couple of years, but it's something that's also going to, uh, uh, I think, demand a great deal more attention uh, as as the number of uh, uh, glass panel equipped airplanes uh, increases over the next couple yeah. of years. Um, I got one real quickie, since uh, this should uh, hit the uh, the web page in time on New Year's Day. Uh, had a little news blurb from the producers of the uh, documentary motion picture One Six Right, which uh, covers uh, general aviation and talks about Van Nuys Airport in Southern California. A great movie. Uh, great flick. Uh, anybody who flies GA will get a real kick out of it. Uh, well, it's going to air on New Year's Day at 1.30 Eastern Time, 10.30 Pacific Time, and whatever time zone in between, it'll fall accordingly, on Discovery High Def Theater. Oh, cool. uh, if you're a high def cable or satellite subscriber who gets Discovery HD Theater, uh, this is going to be on right after the Rose Parade on, uh, on 
Monday, January 1, and then we'll be repeating several times, so you check your listings. Mm -hmm. uh, last alert. quickie. Last, yeah, there you go, TiVo alert. Uh, last quickie is that Sunday, or Monday is New Year's Day. Uh, we hope all of you that have the opportunity and the weather to get out and celebrate your freedom to fly by taking a turn around the patch or visiting an airport on New Year's Day. And uh, then those of you within the uh, cruising range of uh, Ponca City, Oklahoma, consider shooting down there on Saturday, January 6th for their first of the year monthly fly-in breakfast. It's the best five-buck breakfast you'll ever find on the face of the earth. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Well, I want to thank you guys for getting together on this uh, New Year's Sunday morning and uh, appreciate all your thoughts. It's uh, It's been quite a year in, in aviation. Of course, we we failed to mention the most notable bit of news. Uh, I was that, just going to get there, but go that, right ahead, that, Jeff. That, that, occurred, that occurred. I knew in, one of us was going to do it. <laughs> that occurred in, uh, in the year 2006, and that was the premiere of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. We've been having a lot of fun doing this podcast, and we really, really appreciate the feedback feedback we've gotten from our audience and the and the support and the the download figures we're seeing are very very gratifying and we're having a lot of fun doing it and we're going to keep doing it and sometime soon after the first of the year we're actually going to officially go to a weekly uh, schedule uh, I don't know whether it's be afraid be yeah. very afraid <laughs> that's right we're going to keep doing this until you all can't stand it anymore that's right that's right Beings will will continue until morale improves, and we're gonna we're gonna continue to invite uh, additional people like James uh, and uh, and Amy Laboda and others to join us, and uh, the podcast is just gonna become bigger and better, and uh, and we hope that you'll continue listening. So we want to thank everyone in our audience uh, in this first year of Uncontrolled Airspace, and I want to thank you guys for joining us this morning, Dave Higdon uh, from DaveHigdon.com. Uh, thanks a lot, Dave. Is it still snowing out there? Still snowing. Jeb and cool. it's actually accumulating a little bit. Jeb Burnside, uh, is, uh, you can learn more about Jeb's stuff at uh, AviationSafetyMagazine.com. Or at, Where it at, is decidedly not snowing here in, in Virginia. Virginia. It's not snowing in your magazine? <laughs> not, nor in the magazine. And James, and James Winbrandt, thanks again for joining us. James, uh, normally a New Yorker, is, uh, is at his winter quarters down in St. Augustine, Florida, where I assume it's not snowing there either still. Is that correct? It is, it is not snowing at all. It's a beautiful day, and thank you so much for including me today. And I love listening to the podcast when I'm not uh, actually speaking on it. And uh, congratulations to all three of you guys. Keep thank, up the great work. Thank, thank you very much. much. Appreciate you're your help. Of, you're one of the reasons we're here. And uh, James, of course, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, we're going to have to drag James into the 21st century here and get him a website. But he doesn't have a website right now, but he's definitely out there on the web, and you just Google his name, and you'll be amazed at all of the uh, of the interesting and... and, and uh, uh, there's a plethora of things that James has been involved in. <laughs> all right, well, all right, right guys. That's right. It's and too I'm late for a bundle of switches, but I'm going to come unglued here in a little bit. And I'm Jack Hodgson at jackhodgson.com. Uh, we want to thank everyone for listening. Visit the website at uncontrolledairspace.com. Thank There's you, everyone. Pleasure of opportunities. Happy New Year, everybody. We'll talk to you again next time. You can email your suggestions and feedback about this podcast too podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com.
Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast is a production of UncontrolledAirspace.com and Jack Hodgson of Three River Productions. Your business or organization could easily be taking advantage of the power and prestige of podcasting. For help with any and all aspects of using this new medium to present your products and messages, please visit our website at ThreeRiverProductions.com.